Let's pray as we begin. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I used to live on uh, Dayton Avenue in St. Paul, one block west of the St. Paul Cathedral. It's an austere and sacred monument that towers over the mostly sleepy downtown. I made a regular practice of visiting the cathedral to read or journal or sketch or pray or to finish up some homework sometimes. The door to the cathedral was almost always open, a little side door. Definitely open during the day unless there was some sort of event going on and it was often open during the night. One night I was in a bit of distress. I honestly can't remember what was distressing me. So I walked over to the cathedral at about 11 at night. That's my memory, at least. The side door was open, so I slipped inside the dark cathedral and I began to pray. And I felt a strong sense in my prayers that I had some sins that I needed to confess. So I did something that was totally foreign to me, something I I had never done before. I visited the confessional booth. Uh, Many of you are familiar with a confessional. Uh, If you grew up in a Catholic background, Other Christian backgrounds make use of a confessional booth of some sort as well. I was born and raised in in covenant churches like this one, and I I had no concept of a confessional booth at all. Nothing even remotely like that in my tradition, in my background. I didn't even know what it was when I first saw one. I just knew that there was a line out the door sometimes and and that... uh, and that, that people were going in, I thought, well, maybe it's a magical closet of some kind where all sorts of magical things happen, I'm not sure. I'd certainly seen confessional booths portrayed in the movies, right? Uh, an inevitable junkie of some sort conversing with a predictably stiff and uninteresting priest through a latticed grate in a wall with the words, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. I'd seen that in the movies, I kind of knew that. But I felt drawn nonetheless, so it was with some apprehension that I entered the booth, the dark booth in this cavernous, quiet cathedral, and I closed the door behind me. Now, I was 100% sure that a priest was not sitting in the other compartment at that hour of the night, but nonetheless, I did say, hello, is anybody there? No reply, thankfully. So I began talking to God. I began confessing my sins. I did it quietly, thinking that maybe I would be in trouble if somebody found me and I wasn't really supposed to be there. And then I realized I'm already in the confessional booth, right? So I'll just confess that I broke into the confessional booth and everything is going to be okay. I remember sheepishly exiting the booth and feeling lighter somehow after having that confessional conversation with God. What actually happened in there, though? I would visit that booth on a couple other late night occasions and ask the same question. What exactly happened there? So how come we don't have a confessional booth here? How come as we've been renovating our sanctuary, why did that not make it into the plans, a confessional booth? How come our Catholic brothers and sisters give special time and space for confession and so often we don't? Well, it's important to note that confession or penance is one of the seven sacraments in the Catholic Church. And sacraments, by the way, are are acts that make us aware of the presence of God and they strengthen us for the journey of faith. The Covenant Church only recognizes two sacraments, 
baptism and communion as the primary sacraments. But because it's a sacrament for our Catholic brothers and sisters to confess their sins, to make penance, it makes sense that they would have a set structure around that sacrament, that they would have a place and a space to do that. Much like we have a set structure around communion. We do it on the first Sunday of every month, right? So, how can followers of Jesus and lovers of his word have such different practices when it comes to confession? And maybe the question that you're asking, who's closer to being right about this? Is it Catholics or Protestants? Well, to answer that question, I think it's important to first ask another question. Why do we need to confess sins in the first place? Let me tell you some reasons, uh, tell you some of the reasons why, why not. I mean, it's not because God doesn't know our sins. That's not why we have to confess. As we recited earlier in Psalm 139, David says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. Remember, we are not sharing news with God when we confess our sins. God already knows them. It's not because God enjoys keeping a list of our sins either. In Isaiah 43, 25, God says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. God is not a, a taskmaster keeping a ledger sheet up in heaven. He doesn't have a naughty or nice list. We don't confess our sins because God enjoys watching us sit and squirm in our sins. Psalm 103.12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our sins, our transgressions from us. No, God doesn't want us to sit and wallow in our sins. His desire, his action, is to remove them, to take them away from us. We don't confess our sins because he's going to treat us better or worse if we do. Psalm 103.10 says he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Thank goodness for that, right? God does not hold our sin against us or use it as a plumb line to measure how he is going to treat us today. And here's the one that I'm still trying to understand. We don't confess our sins because we need forgiveness. That's not why we confess our sins. Hang with me here. I'm not sure where I picked up the idea that I need to ask forgiveness every time that I sin. I'm not sure where I picked up that idea, but I did. Surely when I sin against another person, I need to go and ask their forgiveness. Scripture is pretty clear on that process. That's, that's clear in my mind as well. But somehow I picked up that my confession of sin is tied to whether or not I would be forgiven by God. That when I'm confessing my sins, I'm, I'm coupling that inherently with a request for forgiveness. Here's what I've done wrong. Please forgive me. I was acting like the Old Testament people of God often did, purchasing a sacrifice for each and every sin in their lives. And not surprisingly, feeling like I could never, ever, 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 ever catch up. Right? But Hebrews 10 tells us that Jesus' forgiveness was a gift given once and for all upon the cross. Let me read it. 
For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them in those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Isn't this good news? Jesus' forgiveness has already happened. It's not contingent on whether you ask for it. It's not contingent on your sins. It's already happened. No amount of confession could bring us into forgiveness. Our sins have already been forgiven. There is no longer a need for an offering for sin. So, answer the question, Lars. Why do we need to confess our sins anyways? Why do we need to do this? Here's my answer. It's not to change God's heart, but rather to change our hearts. That's why confession of sin is important. Not to change God's heart, but rather to change our hearts. Sin, from the very beginning, you can go back to Genesis 3, sin has harmed our relationship with God. But through Jesus Christ and His work on the cross, God has broken down that dividing wall forever. And ever. But, that doesn't mean that you and I, in our human nature, don't try and do our best to build it back up again through our sin, right? I remember when my kids were young, I'm thinking in the age range of two and three, some of you are in that, or maybe you have grandkids in that age. And you know what the absolute most entertaining game in the world is at that age. It's build the tower of blocks and then knock it down, right? That's the game. That is the hot game when you're that age. Boy or girl, day or night, it didn't matter. Always fun to do. It was, in fact, so fun to knock over that tower, and sometimes the laughter would get so heavy in knocking over that tower that I found myself telling my kids, wait, wait, let me build the tower first before you knock it down. We haven't even put one block on another one, and you're knocking it down. I would shield with my body my kids as I was trying to build that block before they could knock it over. Sometimes I feel like I push God out of the way in an effort to build up that tower of sin that he has already knocked down. The fate of that tower is inevitable. It doesn't stand a chance. God continues to pursue me and continues to knock down that wall that I try and create. So let me ask you, is that how you want your relationship with God to be? Because it's not for me. Build it up again and again, back turned to God, trying to keep him at bay for a little bit. Not me. When I confess how ridiculous those sinful behaviors are, I like to think that I'm dropping the blocks and I'm turning to see God face to face and it changes my heart. And that brings me to the text for this morning. John 4. The account of Jesus and the woman at the well. There's so much in this text to talk about. It could be its own sermon series for sure. There's no way for me to get to it all. So I want to focus on two verses, verses 28 and 29. The Samaritan woman has come to the well uh, to draw water, and she is disarmed by Jesus' association with her, which is abnormal on a lot of levels. You can read how abnormal it was for a Jew to associate with a Samaritan. 
In the midst of their conversation, Jesus confronts her with the truth of her sin. That she's had five husbands and is currently with a man who is not her husband. And she quickly realizes that this is no normal person. She begins to speak about the promised Messiah, and Jesus confirms, I am he, the one you're speaking about. And then in verses 28 and 29, we see her response. Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? I see in these verses her individual response as a, as a pattern of what I think is a universal response to Christian confession of sins. This is, the, this is what Christian confession of sins does for us. This is the kind of response that it brings. And it's what I've experienced in my times of rich confession. So let me break it down for you. First, she leaves her water jug. Her plan that day was to draw water from the well, as she had done, I think, probably most days of her life. And I'm quite certain that her family or, or other people in the town were dependent on her doing that job well and faithfully and on time. But when she encounters Jesus and she's convicted of the sin that's in her life, her job becomes unimportant in comparison. She came to the well for the express purpose of drawing water. So to leave her jug, her jar behind, that's an indication of the kind of impression that Jesus made on her. The job of drawing the water became secondary to telling others about the amazing things that had happened in this amazing man. The fact that she leaves her jar there, I see a freedom in that. If you've ever attempted to carry water, you know how cumbersome and heavy it is, right? Her leaving the water jug is a sign of freedom and new priorities. I don't... My guess is that she didn't leave this job forever, is my guess. She didn't leave her water-drawing duties forever, but for a time, that job just really wasn't as important as the good news of Jesus Christ. And so it is with us. Confession of our sins and a, and a reassurance of forgiveness reprioritizes our lives and gives us energy around the good news of Jesus. So here's a good litmus test for you. When was the last time you just had to say to somebody, I need to tell you about this great thing that God is doing in my life? If you can't remember, then I think maybe it's time to seriously consider the practice of confession. Because that is part of the response of confession for us. Second thing, she recognizes God's omniscience. To be omniscient means all-knowing. And clearly, this woman recognized that Jesus is omniscient. He knows everything. So what I really appreciate about her is that at least the text, the way she, she responds in this text, she doesn't get defensive when Jesus points out her sin. She doesn't try and explain it away. It's good for us to remind ourselves that we can't hide our sin from God, that he knows our hearts and our intentions, and he knows our ways, the good and the bad and the ugly. So when she says, come, see, who man, see a man who told me everything I ever did, I'm struck by the fact that the neighbors in, in the community that she was in would have almost certainly known some of the things that she did, right? They knew parts of her story. Yet because her sin had been brought into the light of Jesus, 
She had no problem telling her community, yes, I've sinned, I've done wrong. This guy knows them all anyways. It's worth reminding ourselves this morning that we can't hide our sins from God. He knows them. He knows them all. We need to get honest about that and confess to God the sins that we are ashamed of. The ones that we're ashamed that he knows, that we know that he knows. And let the fact that he knows them lead us into full further vulnerability in our own hearts and with one another. Third thing I see in this text is that she encounters the Messiah in some way. She asks, could this be the Messiah? Trying to process this. I read excitement in her voice as she's saying this. It's hard to believe that this was uh, that this wasn't the beginning of a lifelong relationship with Jesus for this woman. I have to believe that that's the case that she was drawn into a deeper and deeper relationship with him and God through him. Likewise, Jesus desires to draw us into deeper relationship with him, the Messiah, the Savior. The reality is that our own guilt and, and shame and indifference to the sin in our lives can keep us from moving deeper in relationship with Jesus. But when we confess our sin, we are met by our Savior once again. We're reminded of his presence. So a threefold response. Drop the jug. Remember that God knows all. Go deep with the Savior. This is the response of the confession of sin. It was for the Samaritan woman, and I think it ought to be for us as well. This is why we confess our sin. Because we desire this kind of outcome. But some of you are very observant ones, and you've already made a troubling observation. Jesus doesn't actually record, or sorry, John doesn't actually record a confession of sin by the Samaritan woman, right? Some of you are like, ah, I was thinking that. At no point does the woman actually say, I confess my sins. You're totally right. I did wrong. So, is this a confession or is it not? Well, let me go back to the confessional booth question. Who's closer to being right about confession, Catholics or Protestants? Well, here's what I think. Uh, our Catholic brothers and sisters are right to take the practice of confession seriously. I think we've got a lot to learn from them in that. And Protestants are right to make sure that confession doesn't become a legalistic practice for us. Because our Catholic friends make time and space for confession, they are much more likely to elicit a response like the woman at the well, I think. One that is thoughtful and transformative and steeped with an encounter, steeped in an encounter with Jesus. But the method of the booth, I think, can be a little confusing. It can pull us into counting sins and pleading for a forgiveness that's already been paid for. And for this reason, many Catholic parishes are doing away with confession booths in favor of other methods of peer confession practices and other communal confessions. For us Protestants, because we don't make a regular communal practice of sin confession, I think we often suffer in our relationship with Jesus. But I think we're right to not uh, normalize or formalize that practice too much because we're really desiring a dynamic encounter with Jesus, one of knowledge and grace and forgiveness and good news. And I think the Samaritan woman holds the best of both. The impetus for her sin coming to the light of Jesus was an encounter with Jesus. 
and an honesty about her own sin. She didn't need to have a traditional confession to list all of her sins or have the right words to say. She simply responded affirmatively to what Jesus clearly already knew. She didn't try and deny it. She knew it was true. But she also showed evidence of that encounter with Jesus, which is the entire point of any sacrament. That we would encounter the presence of Jesus and be motivated to live the gospel life that he offers to us. She is an ideal model of the confessional life for me. And I want to encourage us to follow her lead, to be attentive to Jesus' initiative towards us through the Holy Spirit. We sense a conviction of sin, and then let's confess to him when we do so. Let's find brothers and sisters in Christ who will hear our confession and remind us of the forgiveness that's already been paid for. And then let's respond as she does. Drop the jug. Remember that God knows all. Go deep with the Savior. I was in St. Paul Cathedral again this last year. This time I was not particularly drawn to the confessional booth, not because it doesn't hold value, I think it does, but because I recognize that I don't have to go there to have a vibrant confessional life. I need to seek encounters with Jesus. I need friends who are willing to hear my confession who will point me to Jesus. I need to claim the forgiveness that Jesus has already paid for and live into it. I need to make confession part of my rhythm of life. I need to be reminded that Jesus is drawing near to me and by confessing my sins, my heart has changed. My priorities are reordered. I'm reminded that God knows all and I can once again confess him as Messiah and Savior. May it be so for you and me. Amen. I have a prayer for us as we head to confession this morning. It's the same prayer that's printed in your bulletin, and I'm going to pray it for us, and I want you to not respond uh, in word today. I want you to hear it. And then I want you to take that piece of paper home, and I want you to live with this prayer throughout the week and find a time when you can go in the confession booth somewhere in your life, and maybe this is the prayer that you use. So. Join me in your hearts in prayer. O Lord, our God, you have searched us and you know us. You know not only what we say, but also what we think. You know not only what we say, but also what we almost said. You know how quickly our thoughts rise to praise ourselves because we're well off or good looking or healthy or smart boasting of your gifts as if they were our accomplishments. You know how slowly our thoughts sink to accuse ourselves, even when we have turned our backs on you, fascinating ourselves with alien gods whose calling we heed while ignoring your own. Quickly boasting, slowly accusing, truly we need to repent. Oh God, convict, correct, and heal us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.